0: I'm Keitel, and I'm Joe, and we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown London, and these days I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast, join us, a few more old mates from school here and there, And new friends, too, from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. (laughs) Hello and... Welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Joe. And whilst I would normally be joined by my best mate all the way from L.A. Kaitel, unfortunately, he's not able to make it tonight. So you're just going to have to put up with me, I'm afraid. Um, well, not quite just me. I am pleased to say that I'm joined by a highly distinguished guest. Um, this is a man who can quite rightly be considered British sports broadcasting royalty and um, having started in the sports broadcasting industry back in the early 90s he's gone on to present a variety of radio and television sporting shows it's it's partly why he currently holds the title as chief sports presenter at ITV amongst a load of other stuff he's doing as well so it really is a privilege to welcome Mark Pugach to the United Mates football podcast Mark how are you doing this evening I'm
1: good thank you Joe apologies for the noise um Bit busy world. I'm actually walking along uh, the Brompton Road. I, w- I won't bore you all, <laughs> why? But you know it is. You know it's it, it's a it's a moving feast. But I'm fine, <laughs> thank you. Fantastic. I've just, uh, come off working at Wimbledon, which was a great experience. Always is, and uh, looking forward. Well, football will be back with us soon enough, won't it?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've not got long to wait now. I'm, I'm a Tottenham fan, and I've been enjoying all the the clips of Spurs in career. just looking forward to um, yeah, the season actually starting. But um Mark, we always start the podcast by asking our guest an icebreaker question. So the way we do this is we tend to look into our guests' social media accounts. We don't dig out any dirt or anything like that, but we find something <laughs> that we think is yeah. quite interesting. And I can see recently, Mark, that you tweeted, any team ending up in a kebab house is a team of mine. And I, I think that's a sentiment that a lot of people would agree with but what i want to know mark is where is the best kebab well what yeah where's the place you've had the best kebab and why so i'll give you a couple of minutes to think about it for me i'll give you you two go for it it, Mark.
1: one is not a million miles from where i am now on the fulham road there's a place called kebab kid okay And uh, i began my early london living down by putney bridge and we used to go there and two, which is why obviously that was sparked off by the England cricket team ending up in a kebab house after the heading test, I think it was. But, not, but And that was sparked because my youngest is at Newcastle Uni and I had a very good night out with her after a, I think it was second round FA Cup time involving Gateshead in November. <laughs> very and nice. we ended up in a kebab house in Newcastle at five in the morning. And it was great fun. So, and, and I have very fond memories of kebabs, of course, at university. Uh, oh. so so i got kebab kid and the one in Newcastle whose name I don't know.
0: <laughs> oh fantastic. Two for the price of one. I love yeah. it. I think um, for me it has to be a place in Kentish town called E Mono. Slightly dodgy sounding name, but absolutely fantastic yeah. um kebab place. I'd recommend it. Always get a There's land a, on it. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the, the, um, the, I know this is a bit
1: London centric, this isn't it, but the, the FDs chain are very good. I think Fulham Palace Road, there was one in the BBC in my early days as well around sort of Portland place. They're very good as well. Oh, and, but I'm, you know, I love them. I love the picture of that. I think that's summed up the way the England
0: cricket team are playing at the moment, isn't it? That they're all in the kebab house at two in the morning or whatever, enjoying themselves. Oh yeah, that's, they've got to eat more kebabs clearly because they're playing yeah. so well at the moment. Um, but yeah, kebabs aside, um, another question we always start with, Mark, this is a football-centric um, podcast. So, we always ask our guests um, their football origin story, so to speak. So, when did, you, um, when did you fall in love with the beautiful game, Mark? How did it happen and why? Well, I, I don't think I can answer why because I don't come from a football
1: family at sure. all. Um, my da- I come from a sporting background in the sense that my dad was, a, which is, I've just given away my love of cricket in the previous answer, <laughs> an absolutely adored cricket and he loved rugby and he loved racing. He didn't mind football. So that was the best way to say he didn't mind it. My mother actively disliked football. You know, all, all those men hugging, all that sort of stuff in the 70s. So I can't tell you why. I just loved it from the word go. And I loved playing it. And you know, I played at school and I was a I was a goal hanger, as anyone who played with me would test? And I just like standing around the goal and locking it in. A bit like your hero Gary Lineker, probably in his top days. <laughs> Very and, true, uh, yeah. yeah. I just I just love playing it. And bless that my mum, although it was not her favourite thing at all. I mean, she could see that I loved it. And uh, my dad, and it was good for me. He got me out of the house and everything. So uh, my mum, I- I'll tell you a little story. They're both gone now, but um, towards the end of her life, uh, she rang me up one day and she said I, and I was, you know, done an England game, and she said, I thought you looked very smart on the telly last night. And I said, Mum, you hate football. What are you doing watching football? And she said, I like I liked to see that you're looking well and that you've done your tie-up properly. And then I turn over and I watch Monty Don. And I think that's probably, you know, as as mother of comment as you could ever get.
0: Oh, yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, who, who doesn't like a bit of Monty Don as well? What a oh, gardener he Monty. is. I absolutely <laughs> love Monty Don, yes. <laughs> but you mentioned there, Mark, of course, you obviously played a bit of football back in the day. But when was it that sort of pursuing a career in? I guess obviously not just football, sports broadcasting, when did, when did that idea first cross your mind as something you could do um, for a job?
1: Um, it's, probably got a, it's probably got a cricket origin again, Joe, that my dad, bless him, every... Uh, I've got two older sisters. And I think today the story would be, hopefully, that he'd, you know, that he'd be playing cricket with all three of us in the garden. But in the 70s, it was a bit more delineated, I, I guess, to be fair. He'd come home, he'd play cricket in the garden with me every night, literally every night, and on weekend when he wasn't playing. And one day I was listening, we were playing in the garden, and I, we were listening to Test Match Special. I must have been about 13, 12, 13, I think. And I said, Dad, are these guys again? They're all men. Then are they really being paid to be at Lords today and watch the Test match? He went, Yes. I said, hang hey, on a second, they're being paid to go to Lords, watch cricket, eat a lot of cake. <laughs> you know, this, is a, this is a job. I said, Yep. I went, Well, that's not a job. Come on, Dad. That's what I'm going to do. And bless him. Um, you know, the great. He died before I really got going with my career, which is, you know, these, you know, shit happens, as they say. No one can do anything about that. But bless him, he was really nothing to do with his industry, he works in the city. He went, if you're gonna do it, go for it. If you are going to do this, you have to wholeheartedly commit to this. And I always say this to all the boys and girls now I talk to of sort of, you know, 2021, you're gonna have to give up a lot of things. You're gonna have to give up weekends and evenings and parties and weddings and stags. And your other half, you're suddenly gonna go, no, I can't go there. So you've got to totally commit to it. I mean, and uh, that's where it all started.
0: No, that's super interesting. I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, football's my favourite sport, but the idea of being paid to just sit around and watch cricket all day is a is a bit of. a... I mean, that that sounds like the perfect job to be honest. So I can see how that set you on your way. Um, but I guess um moving on to the start of your broadcasting career itself. So I know you started um on sort of local radio, BBC stations, the sort of equivalent of BBC London, I think it was BBC GLR, and then obviously... Yeah, it was
1: called, yes, it was called GLR in those
0: days. This is this yeah. is 30 years ago now, yes. Yes, yeah,
1: like
0: so, <laughs> so there was that, and of course BBC Essex too, I know. But then obviously you would eventually go on to BBC um, Radio 5 Live. So my question is, how... Um, how different is it broadcasting to a national audience compared to a, more, uh, to a regional one, I suppose? Is it a much more nerve-wracking affair, or did would, would that not even cross your mind when you kind of made that no, switch?
1: I think, I think what it is, Joe, is, and, and um, you know, the people I work with at BBC Essex, a lot of them are very well-known names now. I mean, Paddy O'Connell is a very good friend of mine who presents Broadcasting House on Radio 4. Based, to be blunt, you cock it up when not as many people are listening. That's to be blunt. That's not to say that it's not important in and of its own right, because it is. But you get an opportunity to, you know, make a mess of it when there's slightly less pressure so that when you do get the big call-up to go to London, you're in better shape to deal with it.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense, I guess. When there's more people listening, you kind of, you, your, your mind's sharper and there's, there's less room. I mean, you, you are effectively, you
1: know, uh, uh, you, you are effectively... Playing for Torquay United in local radio and you hope that Tottenham come and spot you, you know, to give you an analogy that you'd understand. So, you know, you, you, you start off with the Torquay reserves, so you get to the top of the Torquay team, which is doing a lot in local radio. And then you hope that, you know, Tottenham are sniffing around They're right, come and play for us. And of course, you go back into the Tottenham reserves. So you've got to go all the way back to the beginning again.
0: God, yeah, that's that's very true. And I guess continuing to use um, your analogy, Mark. So, yeah, you, you've gone from Torquay to Tottenham. That's kind of, I suppose, we're talking about radio. So then I suppose when you started broadcasting live on TV, is that like is that like going from Tottenham to Real Madrid as much as I hate to use that analogy? Or was it a completely different ball ballgame? How, how, how different is it to present a TV um, show compared to a radio one? It's very different. But I would never, ever
1: say it's better because that would be, that would that would basically be, uh, you know, that would basically be criticizing 25 years of my life. It's they're <laughs> different skills, but it's not better. There's no way it's better. It's just different. And I, I maintain that it's much easier to, I think it's much easier to go from radio to TV than TV to radio. The reason being that when you do um Radio, obviously you need to have a lot of work. Sometimes you need to do a lot of filling, whereas a TV that's filleted down into quite, especially on commercial television, quite precise amounts. Whereas the other way around, if you've only done TV and then suddenly you've got radio, you've got these acres and acres and acres of airtime to fill. And TV people go, how on earth do you do this? Well, you know, I spent 16 years doing Sports Report, you know, the most famous radio sports program in the world, quite often st- still on the touchline with a pencil behind my ear and my knowledge and my wits about me. So I think it's much easier to go from radio to TV. But there's no way that TV is better than radio.
0: It's just completely different to radio. I mean, that's a fair point. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who spent my uni years um, doing a lot of sports student radio. So I'm a big, obviously a big advocate for radio. Well, I love days. it. I mean, I've always loved radio. I mean, I mean, radio is
1: amazing. It's an incredible medium for its mobility, its ability to conjure up pictures, for its challenges, for, you know, there's a great saying we had, you know, just say what you see. And quite often if I was at the Olympics or whatever, remember the first Olympics I did, I was doing the through the night shift back home. So it was in Sydney. So sort of during the day, I was about morning time said, there wasn't a lot going on just used to wander around the olympic park just describing what you could see say what you see it's such a good it's such a good and demanding and fascinating medium radio
0: yeah that ability, yeah, to, that paint, ability paint to paint a picture for yeah. your yeah. listeners is um really quite a special thing actually and i'm sure something you've enjoyed doing over the years but actually i just want to speak to you about a few more recent things you've been doing so i think firstly it's got to be The Euros last year, obviously England made it to the final and, you know, it was a great place to be amongst all the COVID um, surrealness. Everyone had a bit of fun last summer, I think, on the way to that final. I mean, so Mark, was the Euros the best experience of your broadcasting career? Well,
1: I, 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 as I say in Parliament, Joe, I'd refer to the answer I gave some moments, some moments ago. It's the best experience of my TV career. <laughs>
0: but, you know, too. You, 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 you,
1: well, it just you, you know, you, it's like, what's your, who's your? I've got three children. Blessed I have three children. Who's your favourite child? Whichever one's you know not asking me for twenty quid at the time. Ha ha ha! But you know, well, you can't can't compare. It's the best experience of my TV career. Oh yeah, and the, and there is and there is uh, um, there is that feeling, particularly on the night of the semi-final which we had on ITV, which we know, we had 28 million people watching. You know, that's that's for a single channel. I really emphasize this for a single channel. That's the biggest figure a single channel has had for one event ever. I mean, ever, you know, that that was that was particularly incredible, the semi-final because we had that number. And also because, to be honest, come the final, we knew the trouble that was going on and it made it quite an edgy and unpleasant evening in many ways. You know, we we, we threw our running order out of the window for the first 20 minutes because, you know, we had pictures of the trouble and the, and the hooligans. And they were hooligans smashing their way in. But, so, but the answer to the question is, yes, TV wise, it was incredible, particularly the night of the semi-final. you know, England getting to their first major final since 1966 was was an astonishing experience so you do feel you definitely do feel a sense of responsibility to get that right to what's the word to mirror the image to to mirror the feelings of the nation which you know which were which were and who were of course as we all were incredibly excited by it all
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, what what a special night that was. And it actually leads to my next question, Well, because I know you've uh, mentioned in previous interviews, Mark, that you were actually in the crowd yourself at the Euro 96 semifinal. So whilst, I mean, like you said, you were broadcasting to 28 million people, what responsibility and what an honour that was. Was there an element of you at that game wishing you were there as a fan rather than a presenter or... Was it? I mean, was it in this experience? Was it just so special anyway? No,
1: no, I don't think there was. To be fair, because I'd, because I'd done it at Euro '96, as you said, which was electrifying night. I mean, it was electrifying because I'd done it at Euro '96, and because this is the uh, the path that I'd chosen. I, I didn't. I didn't feel. Oh, I wish I was there. But also because my family, I was with my wife at Euro '96. And we got we literally about to get married got married the next month and she was at the Wembley in the Wembley crowd with two of our three kids um so no I didn't I didn't think oh I wish I was in there because I'd been in there and this is what I chose to do and to have the chance to do a game of this magnitude which I may never do again nobody might do again in our lifetime was you know was incredibly it was a it, was, it really was a privilege I'm not just sort of trotting out trite words it really really was and so I, I didn't wish I was down there because My family were down there. I was doing the thing I always wanted to do. And I'd had the experience, um, what was it, 25 years earlier.
0: Yeah, you're right. I guess you've had the best of both worlds, been there as a fan and been there as a presenter.
1: That's completely the way I look at it. I had the best of both worlds.
0: Yes, it certainly was. Um, And actually, speaking about actually one of the pundits um, at the Euros last year in particular, Emma Hayes, obviously the Chelsea women's uh, coach, who I thought personally was an absolutely fantastic pundit last year is obviously a fantastic coach as well I mean this is more this is less a question about punditry punditry and broadcasting but obviously it's the women's euros as well at the moment which is a well it's fantastic and it's really caught the nation's imagination again but Emma Hayes herself Mark having worked with her and seen her up close do you think she will eventually make the transition to men's football potentially coach a, a top flight men's side I sincerely hope so,
1: and I had a conversation with her about it this time last year. And I said, and I sort of, I gave her teams, you know, teams not in the Premier League, teams outside of the Premier League, and in, in, in the other three tiers. And I basically said, okay, if I said Team X, what would you say to me? Because it's a very difficult one. It's because you know, you, you give a Team X, and she'll say, "I'm better than that," and she'd probably be right. But you know, do you know what I mean? Where, where, where what would, what would she? You know, she knows her own value. I'm talking about her own value as a coach here. It doesn't have to do with finance. Her own value. And um, she, knows, she, knows, she knows the level at which she could coach. Of course, you've got to go. The other side is the, the chairman who makes that decision. It's, you know, it's going to be, I'm not saying it's a brave decision. I'm not. It's going to be a lot of, uh, of publicity on them, isn't it? A lot of focus on them. A lot of stories written about them. So I very much hope she does. I very much hope she does you know, she's done it all at Chelsea Women now, arguably, hasn't she, apart from the Champions League? She's done it all. So I, 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 I'm sure, I mean, of course she's thinking about it. She's, I'm, I'd be astonished if she's not thinking about it, because she wants to be the very best that she can be in her profession. And I suspect, do I think it'll happen? I think it probably will happen, yes. The question is, what level? And that is a question that no one can answer.
0: Yes, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to interview Millie, Millie Bright, um, the England liner centre-back, and she was saying even then a couple of years ago that she, she really wanted to see Emma Hayes make that transition over. I really I, want
1: to see her make it. I really yeah. do. I mean, we, we, there, there was a day we, we presented um, uh, the group stages from studios in Maidstone, and one day we were just walking through the corridor to the, uh, to the studio, and I said to him about the way England had played and she literally stopped me, got a piece of paper up against the wall and for five minutes, you know, talked tactics and wing backs and did just what they should do and where they hadn't quite gone right. And it was, I was thinking, wow, you'd want to play for, you'd want to play for this woman, no question about it. You know, absolutely bang
0: on. Fantastic. Well, honestly, it's um, it's great to hear you speak about her so highly. Having obviously worked with her so closely, and yeah, I very much hope we'll be seeing Emma Hayes um, managing a well as, as bi- a bigger men's team as possible soon. I think it will be a real huge moment for the game in many ways. But um, I'll I mean, just it'll ask. It'd be
1: a massive moment, wouldn't it? I mean, it'll be oh, a massive moment. And I, I, yeah. and as I said, I think it'll happen. You just you know, it's just the chairman who makes this decision. Not chairwoman probably going to be a chairman. Um, you know, is knows that there's going to be a lot that comes along with it.
0: Yes. No, you're right. You're right. I think it's sooner rather than later. We'll see it. But I've just got one question for you, Mark, before we end this. About Qatar 2022, it's obviously coming up. It's more of a prediction. How, um, how are England going to do? Are we going to win the World Cup? I, I, I really hope that England
1: haven't had their moments. Do you know what I mean? Semi-finals yeah. of the World Cup, Euro-finals. I really hope they haven't. I'm not... I'm not as down in the mouth as everybody else is after the Nations League. I know everyone else have had a long season as well. But, but you know, the, the English League is very, very demanding. But clearly we, have to, clearly we have to get to grips with midfield in whatever way it is that's not going quite right in terms of its creativity or its shape or whatever it is. Because we've got Harry Kane and Sterling. They're two of the three up front. I suspect Foden will be playing regularly. Um, the Harry Maguire issue obviously is a bit of an issue. Um, I, I don't feel quite as confident as I say going, well, of course not quite as confident going to the Euros because you've got Brazil and Argentina in this as well. They'll give it They'll give it a good go. I mean, it, it, they've got Wales in the group and all the Welsh fans tell me, don't look ahead too far. But, you know, England could play, could play France in the quarterfinals, could play Holland in the last 16. I think it'll be very, very tough. I think it will be very, very tough. But, you know, the, for me, Joe, the best thing of all is that they have... There's a reconnection now between the England team and the England public. And I'm old enough to know when that was a pretty toxic relationship. Do you know what I mean? Where it didn't feel like the players particularly wanted to play for England. Oh, thank goodness for that. I've got an injury. I don't have to play for England. And also, and I'm not telling tales out of school because I talked about it very publicly. The golden generation 15, 20 years ago were brilliant footballers, but there were no team. Gerard Lampard, Scholes, you know, Terry... Ferdinand, Rooney, for whatever reason, probably because they were, you know, the Man United-Chelsea uh, rivalry was so intense in the league, but they were, they were underachieved desperately as a collection of unbelievably talented footballers. So I, 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 the England team are really popular now, and I think that's a, that's a great achievement. Of course, I'd love them to win the World Cup. But if they don't, they've still done, a, for me, they've still done an awful lot that people really care about England now. And, of course, that's helped with St George's Park. And they go there regularly. And they've gone there as 18-year-olds. And they've come up together through the ranks. And, of course, the women's teams are there now. So for that whole team England, you know what I mean, men's and women's, going back to under-16s all the way through to the senior teams of both, is a, is a very, very strong thread, very strong umbilical cord that runs through all of them.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, the main thing is that, you know, Southgate's team have captured the, na- the nation's heart. So hopefully yeah. come Christmas time, which is quite a surreal thing to say, we'll be be... Um celebrating a, i don't know winter wonderland or whatever we'll be watching it um, in the uk yeah. but um yeah that that brings us nicely to um, the end of the podcast mark um thank you so much for coming on it's been a real pleasure to speak pleasure. to you um yeah i guess all that's left to say really is um we'd normally ask our guests what's the best way kind of to follow them and keep up to date with everything you're doing so i don't know if you've got any sort of social media account handles you could share with everybody well,
1: well, my 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 Twitter handle at Mark Pougatch is very much dominated by sport. Uh, but my Instagram uh, my, uh, at Mark Pugach, is very much dominated by my animals and my garden. <laughs> so it depends. It depends which side of my life you're interested in. You know, whether you want my dogs and my uh, my sweet pea garden and my uh, and my Shetland pony, or you want the sport. But yeah, those are <laughs> those are the two. Because I think it's you know it's very important to have lots of it. I mean, I love what I do, but it's incredibly important to have lots of interests outside of sport. Otherwise, do you know what I mean? You just get your head in a you just put put your head down a sporting hole, particularly football, and you never reappear. So, uh, so there we are. There's the, there's the two sides of me on on social media.
0: Brilliant. No, I like that variety. <laughs> maybe the only thing I'd say you might need to make a third account to start reviewing kebab shops in London and beyond. Oh, but, you know, maybe... <laughs> well,
1: yeah, kebab kid. I've been to a kebab kid for a bit, but uh, I cannot remember the one in Newcastle. All the Newcastle fans will know it is. It's the one. It's the one towards the West. It, I have to be honest with you, Joe. It was four o'clock in the morning after a very late night out with my daughter. But it was great fun. It was brilliant fun.
0: Oh, yeah, maybe we'll track down the name. But um, no, that's, that's great, Mark. I guess the final thing for me is if anyone listening um, wants to follow us as well, we are at United Mates FP, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, look forward to being back soon again. Have a good evening and goodbye.